conversation that I feel like we've been having forever, um, which is basically on the idea of home and trying to define what home is. Um, and I guess how growing up in a household with parents from two different countries um, and like growing up in a third country with different languages, how that kind of complicates the idea of home and is becoming more evident in the situation that we're in now when everybody has to stay home. Um, yeah, so I guess that, that's what we're going to be speaking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something that we have been, it's just been, um, for obvious reasons, um, a topic that we have always been thinking about and speaking about because we are Colombian Pakistani, our parents are from different religions, um, we grew up in a completely different country, and um, and now we're living in... <laughs> I'm in London and you're in New York. And so there's obviously that complication there where we, where as in the idea of home is questioned. Um, yeah. I was thinking recently what home is for me exactly. And I don't think I have an answer. I think it's something that I don't, I was thinking that I feel I've tried to find what home means for me almost in like is it a physical uh sp you know space is it a space that um i emotionally feel at peace in is it and i i almost feel because of our experience mm -hmm. that home for me is almost an imaginary thing now. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if you ever fulfill that desire of yeah. wanting something to feel like home. Um, yeah. I have moments where I feel at ease and I mm -hmm. feel like in sync, but I don't know, is that what we would call home? Is that a moment where we feel suddenly at home? I don't know. Yeah, I feel like for me, like, the definition of what home is changes depending on, like, the situation. So, like, growing up, I never felt at home in Dubai, partly because we, like, our mom always reminded us of the fact that it was a temporary home because we don't get citizenship or permanent residence Um, so I always had that in my mind, but also I just generally didn't feel at ease um, because of the landscape and the architecture and what there was to do there. And so then when I moved to New York, I felt like, oh, okay, this, this feels like home because I just felt more able to maybe express myself in certain ways or do certain things. And then in this situation, when I have to be indoors and can't kind of interact with other people, it doesn't feel like home anymore. And the only thing I can think of as maybe feeling like home is Dubai, where like our parents are and our house is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's interesting because if you're no longer able to interact with the city, 
that you're mm-hmm. in, um, then you're forced to somehow make that um, make that kind of box that you're living in your your home and the place that you need to survive in and and really um, find um, comfort in and um, but but for you you're alone and so even then you begin to um, I guess understand how important it it is to be with people like how important the idea of home at least for me doesn't exist without um, other other people yeah Um, and growing up in Dubai we always knew that it wasn't really where we were from. Yeah. And, um, and the thing is, we were also surrounded by people who also weren't from there. Because yeah. it's such a segregated place, you don't normally experience um, being with people who, with Emiratis. And so, of course, mm-hmm. there are a few and um, a few friends that made here or there. Yeah. Um, maybe in school, um, acquaintances things like that but not really you don't really integrate much yeah you don't exist in the same spaces um and so so we knew that and um I still feel that knowing that I always felt this need to weirdly go back not necessarily to live but Um, I remember at university when I was in Edinburgh, I had just moved out of Dubai. I was living alone in a new city, um, trying to make a home there, but it always felt temporary. And I think a big part of that was that I was there completely alone, not with family, no friends. Um, It was cold. (laughs) And and also, uh, and a big thing is I didn't get to feel... I didn't feel like I belonged at all. Yeah. It's, um, there was a big North American, like, group. Mm-hmm. There was a big um, British group. Of course, people who probably knew each other from school and ended up there together, or if they didn't, they ended up clicking. And um, mm-hmm. for me, I didn't really fit in in either of those. And then there were little pockets of you know like other social circles that I didn't it was hard for me to to make friends and um and that I think is a big that of course made me feel like this is definitely not my home if I don't feel like I belong here with the people here and I feel like I also don't belong in this city because the city is dead at night for example so it's a beautiful city but I felt like I couldn't interact with it and be in it all the time um and that made Mm -hmm. me realize like that definitely was not my home um and then so so the only other place I knew until that point was Dubai so there's always this oh well Mm -hmm. I'll go back to what my home what I believe my home is um anyway but um I wanted to say that I think the idea of home is almost, it's very intertwined with um, race and um, 
ethnicity, your culture, religion, the idea of belonging. Can it be your home if you don't belong? Yeah, I think that's why our um, situation maybe particularly, I mean, not it's not only our situation, but like um, having parents who are both from different places as well made that maybe a bit more difficult than that idea of finding home more difficult maybe than people who we know who grew up in Dubai who both of their parents are from the same place and speak the same language um because then the idea was like like we would go to Pakistan or interact with um, Pakistani people and not feel like we belong there um for me it was largely because of the way that I look because I don't look Pakistani but also because my Urdu is really bad and um so that like separated me from them and then also cultural differences because our mom we spent I guess we spent more time with our mom and so that was influencing the way that like we thought about certain things maybe um but then also going to Colombia where both of our Spanish is like stronger than our Urdu um but then even there we're not like we're told that we have Colombian heritage we're not Colombian um yeah and also culturally we have the influence of like our father who is Pakistani and Muslim and that doesn't that means that by default when we interact with Colombians we won't be as similar like we won't fit in as much yeah exactly there's um yeah so you're always trying to defend both sides when at the same time you know that you you don't necessarily fit in either um and I felt that a lot growing up because I think I had a lot of um, friends and just people I would meet who found out my mom was Colombian, found out that she is Catholic, and questions were asked about, oh, so your mom's Catholic? She hasn't converted? Is she going to convert? How come she hasn't converted? Your dad didn't make her convert? All these questions. And so suddenly, in that space where it's a majority Muslim space, you end up having to defend, um, in order to defend your mom, you end up trying to defend the idea of being, like, of of being, not Muslim being okay, right? That's okay. So, um, I, I remember always trying to, to... It was a weird situation. I, I felt super uncomfortable when it was brought up. I also knew that they were taught to to believe or to I don't know I guess they they obviously didn't experience a household with a multicultural household a lot of the people who asked these questions and so for them they didn't understand how this could exist in one house to have two two religions yeah um and Mm -hmm. so in that space I'm I'm you know I saw myself trying to defend my Colombian-ness and my non-Muslimness mm-hmm. that existed. And at the same time, you know, yeah. the same moment of time in other spaces, I was, def- I was trying to um, fight the, a lot of the conservatism from 
the Pakistani side when it came to, for example, how to dress and how to behave. And mm -hmm. this, of course, like the conservatism exists in, on, on both sides in different ways. It's just that you find yourself yeah, in the same... I think, yeah, I was just going to say, like, also in our situation is that, like, both sides are relatively conservative. Yeah. And so it was, <laughs> it's like defending one side when you're with the other yeah. and, like, vice versa. Yeah, exactly. And then when you're with your friends, you're trying to... You're, you're existing in a different way. And so you, you... Like you said, for you, our experiences were different because... I have darker skin. Yeah. Um, and so I um, mm -hmm. so in both spaces, I almost fit in a little more in terms of how I look. Even though in Colombia, like our family's yeah. white Colombian. What I mean is like yeah. outside of that context, people could see me more as Latina or maybe South Asian, even though not, it wouldn't be their first guess. Um Yeah. Whereas for you, that was even more complicated. Right, yeah. I think then it's like the idea of like racial passing, how that can allow a certain place to feel like home or not. Um, mm -hmm. Or like mm -hmm. maybe also part of the reason why I can feel comfortable here or for example, like I've always wanted to move to Barcelona, for example, right? And that's like the time that I spent there felt very much like what I could call home. Like I can imagine that feeling like home. Yeah. But the fact that I'm white passing allows for that, like allows me to feel that way because I don't have to deal with maybe racial discrimination when I'm like walking down the street. Yeah. But then like the story that our mom always says of when, I was little and we went to visit Pakistan and I was blonde and I was the only blonde person and I kept going to the bathroom to wet my hair to make it darker so that I would look like everyone else in the family and feel like I was supposed to be there. Um, that's like a story that I hesitate to tell in like a Western context because it can sound like I'm saying like I was discriminated for being blonde, which is not obviously not the case. But just like that feeling of noticing that you look different to the other people in the space, so you don't, um, you are not allowed to call that your home. Exactly, I agree. Um, and and then um, it's it's weird how these things exist. Like for me, going to going to Pakistan and being told that I looked really beautiful when I wasn't tanned and then going to <laughs> Colombian when I'm not tanned, being told, well, you need to tan, you need to be in the sun. And so you're mm -hmm. navigating these two spaces, these two identities. And at the same time, they're not two identities, right? You can't, you can't separate them from each other. And as yeah. you, you're not more one or the other. Um, like yeah. like you're saying that you, we're always having to defend these two sides or exist in these two realities at the same time, and that in itself means that um, these these identities, being Colombian, being Pakistani, a woman, um, that they don't exist separate from each other, and that's mm -hmm. what really forms our um, identity. Um, like we, we wouldn't be who we are without the other side. Yeah. 
I think like also a big part of that is language. Like it's not the th- the fact that like when we're sp- like even now it feels strange to be speaking to you in English. Yeah. <laughs> even though probably if we were to try to have this conversation in Spanish, it would end up being Spanish and English yeah. mixed together. Yeah. But that's like the only way that it makes sense to speak to each other because you can't we can't like separate the way that we were like brought up like it's part of the identity is that like mix of yeah languages and cultures and like i've felt that for example it's like a like over here i remember i was writing something for a project and we grew up obviously we grew up in uh in the middle east in an arab country but we were learning in english but So I would read books written by like American authors and then be taught by uh like Irish English teacher <laughs> and my spelling would get like mixed up between American writing and English writing and yeah. so now there's that like mix and I've been told by many professors here to choose one and it sounds like a very like like a trivial thing like yeah just choose one spelling and stick to it but then when you're writing something that's like very personal it's like having to edit myself so that I'm adhere to one way of like to one of the either to the american like standard or to the english standard but i can't yeah. like accept the mixture of like influences um you told me this a while ago and since then i just it suddenly clicked and i was i said to myself yeah why am i doing this to myself why do i keep editing my writing i was i you know started in a lebanese school with irish british teachers and having to spell while well, i learned to spell with the british spelling mm-hmm. um and then moved to an american school for a year where i was forced to stop spelling the british way and had to learn the american spellings then moved back to the lebanese school then moved so because i've been in multiple schools i've had to switch the way yeah. i spell um and now and then i went to university um while well, i came obviously to the uk and then again had to switch and it's mm-hmm. just been a constant having to switch and sometimes I just like the way one word is spelled the British way and the other one the American way and I want to spell I want to use both and that should be okay because it's part of what makes me who I am and it's part of what like um has formed my my being and my identity and and um and um and I think just thinking of lang- uh, of home mm-hmm. the multiculturalness yeah um complicates the idea of home even more right yeah. so um and i think that's why more and more i feel like it is an imaginary thing yeah It's imaginary does it exist i think especially um, when like you know that you don't really have a place to go back to that you can yeah. say this is home and no one can tell you no it's not yeah. because it So right now both of us for example even if we wanted to go back to Dubai we can't. We don't have a visa and getting it will be complicated even though we were born there and lived there until we graduated high school. Yeah. But then 
then the only other place we could go to in case we for some reason are kicked out of wherever we are is Colombia. But even then, like, we have already been told whenever we go there that we're not from there. Mm-hmm. And our accent shows that we aren't really fully from there. Our, I don't know, like, there's all these signs, obviously, that we are also part of other another culture or multiple other cultures. And, yeah, having to defend your desire to like have a place that you could say this is home and I think I've I've reached a point where now I'm just just feel like if someone says that and says well this is you're not really from here Mm -hmm. it's just like it's who is then you know when where do you draw the line and I and if I want to call this my home I will call it my home um, mm-hmm. because where am I allowed to exist then? Where yeah. am I allowed to say this This land also belongs to me? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it's, it's a weird thing when it's not just... Because um, obviously also our parents are from dif- different races, but they're not yeah. from different races within the same culture. It's just completely different cu- like c- cultures yeah. as well. Um, and... Um, um, another thing I think growing up we grew up um, in a place where if you were South Asian that was definitely not your home whereas uh, like our Latin side our Latin (laughs) American side was almost exoticized it was like fantasized, desired, and um, um, people wanted to, in many ways, associate with it, and it was like this whole romanticization of of that. Um, Our South Asian side was very much, um, like, tried to, what's the word? Yeah, it was more put down, like, as in, because... I guess if somebody is, hasn't been to Dubai or doesn't know, like, what it's like, it's yeah. so, the way race works is so different to how it works in the UK or in the US, yeah. where the majority of people in, in the UAE are not white. So it, it's more, like, class-based mm-hmm. racism, I guess, where in the mm-hmm. sense that most of the working class is South Asian, and so those are the nationalities I guess that are discriminated against whereas anyone from a like more western culture which is what Latin America would be considered in that context Mm. is exoticized or like praised in a certain way and of course that doesn't mean that people from like people who are white aren't like put up on a pedestal because they are (laughs) Um, but there was more, like, for me, I had this, I I know that I rejected being Pakistani mm-hmm. because I, because everywhere, like, everywhere you go, you hear people making fun of South Asians. Exactly. Because I had the ability to be more Colombian, I did that, and I don't speak Urdu properly now, and I don't, like, I didn't, I detached myself from 
like Pakistani culture to avoid being like in that category that was yeah. being like ridiculed constantly. Exactly. And I think like a lot of people that I've met who are Arabs, um, not from the UAE, but from other Arab countries, say things like, oh, there's no racism in the UAE. But because the racism is not against them, like it's against very much <laughs> against the South Asians, Filipinos, like, yeah. And with me as well, I was able to pass as not Pakistani if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, very easily I would even be seen as Lebanese and so in mm-hmm. that way I was able to pass as a majority um, yeah. and um, fit into spaces that other um, South Asians would not be able to fit into um, mm-hmm. because they were very obviously South Asian um, yeah. and um, <laughs> I've spoken about this before but I mean there was a moment where where I thought someone was Indian And this girl started crying and mm-hmm. was then being consoled by her friend because um, because I said she was Indian and that was apparently insulting. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are those little... And that's not the only time I've experienced that. I was called yeah. Paki girl in third mm-hmm. grade by my PE teacher every day. Um, yeah. He didn't... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, whereas I think with me, the thing was because I... Like, I think the last, one of the last places people would think I'm from is from Pakistan. And so it gave people room to say things that were really, like, racist in front of me because they completely just disassociated me from that. And even, like, I knew someone who, like, someone asked them if they were Pakistani and they weren't. And they got really upset and were telling me about how upset they were. And I was so confused because I, like, I am Pakistani. And yeah. so I was like, but why is it insulting to be asked if you're from a certain country? Yeah. Um, or like, yeah, just people making certain assumptions or like saying things about South Asians while you're there. And then it's like in those moments you want to say, no, that Pakistan is my home. And yeah, like you can't exactly. say anything about it, even though you might not even be accepted by Pakistanis either. And that links to... Um, so can you ever feel fully at home in your body? Is your body your home? Can your body, can your body, um, is your body enough to house you and make you feel, um, um, like you don't need some other form of like physical home? You know what I mean? So this is, this is how we navigate spaces with our Mm -hmm. body. And so when we, when you experience the world through that and mm-hmm. people interact with you uh, based on the way you look, because as much as we say that that's not the case or blah, yeah. blah, it, it is. And so um, can you fully be at home in your body? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I think because I think that's something that you hear a lot is especially now I think a lot of people saying like oh it doesn't matter like your body is your home or take care of your body because it's your only home which I understand like the reason for saying something like that it's like to care for yourself but then that like believing that becomes a lot more complicated when you don't like your body whether it's because you have an illness or a disability that you're like frustrated with 
which like I think you're allowed to not like that part of yourself that is making your life more difficult in a certain way or because you don't adhere to the like beauty standards um and your body like just makes you uncomfortable all the time and so it doesn't feel like home yeah um i um i think on the inside i get very emotional and um like upset thinking of myself when I was younger because I really was not at home in my body and I really wasn't comfortable and it started at a very young age and mm-hmm. um as um you know when I was like maybe uh I don't know eight nine when I started like gaining more weight well I wasn't I wasn't like a six seven year old girl anymore so obviously my body was changing um and um yeah my body was changing I was um in comparison to a lot of other um girls my body wasn't necessarily my frame wasn't necessarily small mm-hmm. um and my bones and that stuff like I'm not a petite person right yeah. so um but I I like that difference was uh, noticeable quite early on with me and I know with you as well because obviously you grew really quickly like you um, and um, one of the spaces that now when I think back to and it's really sad that I felt I really did not feel at home was in ballet class because ballet class um, um, in Dubai the majority of girls who went were white um, British girls yeah and Um, and they were just girls. So this isn't to speak, this isn't me speaking about like against their existence. It's not that it's more me saying what, what as a young girl you can experience when you maybe don't look the same as, as the majority in that space. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I was chubbier. I had to wear this leotard that was tight. They made us wear the most (laughs) that ridiculous, little ballet belt thing that you wear around your waist what was that even for it was so ridiculous like to make sure your posture is just just (laughs) ridiculous because it cuts your like belly in the weirdest way unless you have no like belly fat or anything um and um yeah and so (laughs) and so that made me feel uncomfortable um, it just never fits as well. I was never like, I felt like a little, um, what's the word? I feel like there's an expression for this in Spanish when you're like, embutida. Like, <laughs> what's the word? How do you explain that? I like squished Like stuffed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stuffed into this leotard and I hated it. Um, and on top of that, the, the ballet teacher would slap my belly and tell me to like suck it in yeah and so I was never enough my body was never enough in that space um yeah and um or it was like um, too much almost or too much yeah it was too much um and then so there was there were that there was that space then I was um I, I noticed it as well when I went to the American school and I had to in PE class, the way that this teacher spoke to me, um, mm-hmm. and 
And then growing up, of course, I had a lot of issues with my body, uh, body image, um, mm-hmm. and especially towards the end of high school, where I was, um, I really, really like I would cry every day, and and it was again because of my body um, and yeah. things that I couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And so, in those moments when when you don't feel at home in mm-hmm. in that thing in this thing that like carries you mm-hmm. um it becomes harder to exist yeah right so i so you end up almost like hiding yourself i feel like your body takes a different shape your the way the things you do begin to change i i began to st- i stopped singing i didn't want people to be looking at me um yeah yeah i think like i So like like you're saying, I was abnormally tall um, when I was younger. So I like I didn't have the same experience as you necessarily, but um, like I outgrew all of you when I was like eleven. <laughs> so, and I have always been a really shy person, so I obviously stuck out against like everyone else in my age. Um, and I didn't like that, and I think that made me maybe even like shyer than I was before because I felt like I had to shrink in every way. Yeah. And then aside from that, I've also like I am. I guess I've I'm relatively thin, but we have like a broader like bone structure, and so I wasn't skinny. either yeah and so that made me feel like so much larger than everyone else in every way and I had to like like I ended up I think becoming way quieter and shyer than I would have been and then obviously like I got diagnosed with diabetes around that time when I had the growth spurt and so there was another part of my body that was like frustrating me um and again like having to inject myself in public or like I was revealing like how like in front of other people how my body was like not like it was lacking something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and yeah I guess I think like all of those things intertwined and I also like struggled a lot with like not liking the way that I looked and feeling like I had to exercise obsessively to like change the way my body looked and and like felt and eating certain ways avoiding certain foods like not eating um and so then it's like if my body is home then is home like something that is causes so much discomfort and like almost disassociation because you look at yourself and you like I mean like for example when I've had times and I have more like body dysmorphia Where, like, you look at yourself and you almost can't recognize yourself. Or, like, you don't know how to, like, gauge what you're what you look like. And so it's, like, you're not even in your own body almost. Because it, like, it feels so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, it is a... So, yeah. Is home something that causes... Um, that... that will always cause this uh, dis-ease or... 
um, yeah, it's such a complicated <laughs> question. And of course, like for us, where we don't even have to, where we don't exist in, like we're not, so as in for someone who is, for example, a refugee, um, that becomes even more complicated yeah. and um, I um, I just I think <laughs> thinking of right now for example I'm in London and there are moments where I feel like I'm really this I, I love this city I love this place it's um, I feel super comfortable I feel like I can exist the way that I am I feel like I don't um, even in terms of um, certain laws that are in place in the city, right? They make it easier for you to exist without mm-hmm. having to hide a lot of um, yourself. And so that, and so, and and then being able to um, not needing a car, for example, you develop a different relationship with a city. And the city mm-hmm. begins to feel like home in many ways. But then there are moments where that relationship starts to turn bitter, I feel. And you yeah. begin to say, well, is it really, is it really my home? And, and you see it when it, uh, how it intertwines with politics and it intertwines with, the, with capitalism. And when you're not able to afford rent and, you're, and, and the places that you can live in are so limited by what... Um, by just like um, the, the the society we live in and capitalism, and so um, yeah. for yeah, I think it, like also like for displaced communities or like indigenous communities that are like have been colonized, then yeah, and then are not even really allowed to call it their home, like because politically um, they don't like have the same resources that other people will have or like the same rights that other people have even though I guess if we're talking about like home being somewhere where you originate from that is like indigenous people are the like this is their home I guess um but then obviously like politics come into it and complicate everything and language as well because then once like uh English becomes, like, the dominant language in a place. Anyone who speaks something else or speaks it in a different way has to kind of... Basically isn't allowed to say that this is where they're from because yeah. they, they don't adhere to the, like, dominant... Yeah, that reminded me of just in my... Right, working in the education sector... Um, where I always see these jobs advertised, for example, for uh, teachers, and it always says um, native English speakers only from the UK, Australia, South Africa, uh, and the US. And yeah. then, and it frustrates me so much because, well, then what what would you call my English if it's yeah. what I, the the language I studied in, the language mm-hmm. I. Um, communicate in the most the language I write in language I um, it's it's just so how what what can I say is mine if that makes sense I think that's like it's funny it reminds me of when I moved to New York um, and a few like a week before starting 
classes in my first year, um, they said that all international students had to do like an English test um, to like prove that we could speak English. And I didn't want to waste that like last week of summer taking an exam to prove that I could speak English. Yeah. And so I went to tell them that, oh, actually, English is my first language. And in my head, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go lie to them and tell yeah. them that English is my first language so that I don't have to take it. And they were like, oh, okay, that's fine. Like, if it's the first language you learned, then that's fine. Yeah. And I felt like I was lying. But actually, like, <laughs> it is the language that I speak more than Spanish yeah. or Urdu or whatever. So is yeah. it like just because on paper, it's not like... I'm not from a country where English is the first language. Does that mean that I can't say that that's my language? Yeah, exactly. Um, and also the fact that... So I'm told by... D- depending on where I am, people tell me that I speak English and um, I sound American or I sound this or that. Or um, some people will say that I do sound Arab. or mm-hmm. And... I think the pa- the past few years, I just started to almost embrace that and just say, well, yeah, I, of course, I will speak English with a kind of, let's say, Arab um, twang or like some intonations, because while I grew up in an Arab country, I graduated yeah. from a Lebanese school. How else do you expect me to speak this language? Does is I think that- Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say, like, I think that's a way of almost saying, like, purity is necessary. Like, you have mm-hmm. to sound like you're purely from one place in order to, like, be able to claim that. Yeah, and what does it mean to sound like that place, right? Because yeah. if you go to that country itself, there are so many different accents yeah. um, that um, it's impossible no no one yeah. speaks in the same way and so it's okay to have an accent it shows like it's part of who you are and your experience and um i mean i don't mean it's okay meaning like oh guys just be okay with it and deal with it i don't mean that because obviously there's so much discrimination that happens because of accents um that's funny actually it goes back to the point of like feeling like you had to defend certain like yeah like parts of our family or heritage Mm -hmm. where um I remember someone asking me if my dad had a Pakistani accent in a way that was almost like oh if he does that's funny and I felt like oh I have to say that he doesn't so that people think that like they don't put us in the box of like all the Pakistanis that you make fun of yeah and so I said not really but not like he does, of course he does, have a Pakistani yeah. accent because he's from Pakistan, he grew up in Pakistan. And, like, the fact that he sounds that way doesn't mean anything other than that he's yeah. from there. And, like, it shouldn't be something that makes you, like, feel ashamed almost. Yeah, exactly. And it comes back to, really, it comes back to whiteness and yeah. what what accents are um, considered to be English enough. Yeah. Um, it, it, really, it really comes back to whiteness because that's what it's determined by. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, if you, I've always thought that if you like look at, for example, the South African accent, mm-hmm. and you compare it to the Pakistani or Indian accent in English, yeah, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, uh, like intonation and sounds. Yeah, but the fact that um, there are white people in South Africa, yeah. Um, changes it it suddenly becomes acceptable it suddenly becomes well this is a proper way of speaking it can be accepted i think i think like for example italian accents or french accents like everybody really likes those accents but then from other countries where i don't know like south asian accents or anything like that like those aren't really um desirable i guess yeah and like i think of also like i was taking a class a year and a half ago and we were reading something by um gloria Saldua, and she writes in like spanglish right and she doesn't translate the terms that are in spanish and i remember like to me when i was reading it at first i almost didn't notice because i understood what was written yeah. like i didn't have to translate anything yeah. um but then when we were discussing it in class someone um who was from Denmark, I think, um, said, like, oh, I don't understand why she won't just write the word in English. Like, you, it's not like it's a word that can't be translated. Like, why wouldn't you? And, um, and then our teacher was kind of saying, like, well, when you read theory that's, that has words in French or in German, you accept that it's a word that is theoretical. But when it comes from a country that is not considered like an intellectual country or like a language that isn't considered as like intellectual. Yeah. It suddenly needs to be translated. Yeah. Like we can all learn French terms and German terms, but we can't learn Spanish terms. If you know that French term, then it's suddenly you're very, you're, it, it's like a sign of being educated and um, prestige and all this stuff. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> I feel like we need to have an episode just speaking about that. There's so much to speak about when it comes to, yeah. to this. Um, yeah. So what is home? <laughs> I wrote this down and I've shared it many times, but when I was little, I used to, gen- I remember watching Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, and there was one character <laughs> that was from the center of the earth. And he was, like, the the evil character, but his dad was from the center of the earth, I think, and his mom was from, like, the surface of the earth. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can just say I'm from the center of the earth Um, because it, like, wherever I say I'm from, the center of the earth is there. Like, it'll still be (laughs) underground. (laughs) And I remember thinking, like, genuinely, oh, I can say I'm from the center of the earth now. I think, like, it's still a valid answer. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. We are from the center of the earth. I don't think I ever have want... um, I don't think I'll ever want to completely disassociate from any of my, like, backgrounds, you know, from my Colombianess or Pakistaniness. Um, the influences that I've had growing up in Dubai. Yeah. Um, I feel like they have made 
have shaped me mm-hmm. in many ways. I do think that um, I do think we need more conversations about multiculturalism, about uh, being biracial, uh, but being mm-hmm. biracial beyond being um, a mix of like black and white, mm-hmm. um, even though that's extremely important. And it's important that those conversations are being had because that's just it adds another layer to like the discrimination that exists. Right. Yeah. Has a completely different history. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like for us, um, I think what's interesting for us is it's in a non-Western context. Yeah, because all the conversations that are that I hear or read about about um, like being biracial or being from multiple cultures are typically within the U.S. Yeah, and that's what like this class that I took last semester on. It was called heterodox identities on like being kind of like a mix of two identities or in between two identities was very much like everything we read and watched was based in the U.S. And so like even then I couldn't like associate with with what was happening because I'm not American. And I as much as we were like um, like all the media that we consumed was mostly American Mm-hmm. As much as like that has influenced us, like inevitably, we obviously don't like fit in to exactly. American culture. Exactly, and I think it, that's why it is important to have these conversations outside of a Western context. Um, because yeah. I was thinking recently, something really funny is that um, I loved Alicia Keys, and I still love Alicia Keys. <laughs> But one of the reasons I loved her so much was because I felt like I almost, even though I don't look like her, growing up, I, I didn't see any singers who look like me. And, yeah. I, and I almost feel like she was the one I identified with the most because she was, uh, she is biracial um, mm-hmm. and she's black. But, but for me, it was like the person the I, sorry. Yeah. It was like the only other biracial. Yeah, person. and then okay, then suddenly it was like, oh, there's Shakira and this, but like, <laughs> um, I don't know. There was something about Alicia Keys that made me feel like I could identify with her, and I think it is as a young girl, you you try to look for um, people who who look like you as well, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, I would just, I would love to have more conversations with people who have experiences of being biracial outside a Western context. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah. I was actually, I was thinking of like another point related to like body as home is also gender. Um, I think like obviously looking like presenting like a woman or passing as a woman. Um, there's certain ways where you're you have to be so aware of your body and like how you walk what you wear in certain situations to avoid like and like I felt that very much it was very it was strange so you know like I cut my hair really short right and I noticed and it was so strange in the winter when I was wearing like really baggy clothing and I had you couldn't see my hair and everything I could like notice that I felt safer walking at night because because of my height and the way that I was dressed 
I looked like a man and many people like called me sir and whatever. And I genuinely felt like more, okay, I'm safe in my body right now because I don't like pass as a woman in this moment. And so I don't have to run from the subway station to my apartment building at night. That's interesting. And so like in many ways, passing as a woman makes your butt like the idea of your body being home so much more difficult because your body makes you unsafe exactly that's true um yeah I definitely felt that growing up and till today but I think um I had to suddenly be really aware of what of what I was wearing because I was a girl um, yeah. and because um, I like my body developed earlier mm. in like in certain ways where um, seemed to be like I, I like as in could grab people's attention more or whatever it was and so um, I had to be really aware of like oh am I showing cleavage right now am I showing this or that or like those little things like that and obviously experiences uh, experiences of sexual harassment and um that again makes you so aware of your body mm-hmm. um and how it's not safe for you yeah um like you're saying um and <laughs> i just remembered actually when we were in Pakistan, I don't know why this thought came to my mind, but do you remember when we were there and um, there was a woman who stopped with her kids and started saying we were oh, American? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, like, they stopped. Like, they all stood and turned around and stared at us and were yeah. asking each other where we were from because yeah. we were speaking Spanish. Yeah, exactly. And then in Colombia, where you yeah. experienced being told you looked American... And yeah. the same with mommy, which was so weird yeah. suddenly. Um, but so there's those moments where for a lot of people, you will never be enough to mm-hmm. be for you to claim this space as your own. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I wish that I wish when I was younger, I was able I I. I wish I had had like these conversations with someone. I don't know if it would have made a difference. I wish I would have like. I don't know what I wish, actually. I just think that um, it's important to discuss home, to discuss belonging and identity with mm-hmm. kids as well. We were we were obviously aware of it on a certain level, yeah. but didn't yeah. have, like, the words to explain it. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, like, also I was aware that my experience was different to yours since yeah, I was really yeah. little. Like, I could tell that oh, okay, I'm blonde and have green eyes and you don't. <laughs> so something is, like, different. But we yeah. never really spoke about it much beyond that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, hmm. yeah, so I wonder, like, if I will always be seeking this idea of home. Um, yes. And I probably will, because yeah. I think I'll probably always want to belong and find a space that I can, like, call home. Mm-hmm. And feel that I can exist in without being kicked out ever. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And 
Yeah, and and it's not to say that those spaces don't exist in, like, let's say, Colombia or Pakistan or wherever. I just feel like somehow you almost have to exist in those spaces without the people you know for you to, like, be able to exist and for that to be your home because a lot of the time it's others who make your experience of that space um, like not home if that makes sense I don't like I don't I know agree. if I made sense because also like if we go back to language I feel like most of the criticism that has that I've heard <laughs> about the way that I speak um, yeah. like Spanish for example comes from people that we know <laughs> whereas usually when I speak Spanish to someone that I've just met their comments are like wow you speak so well yeah exactly and exactly. it's more like oh, okay like I can like belong here I guess with in, uh, like according to this person and that's exactly it um, <laughs> <laughs> um being careful with how we phrase this <laughs> but um no but I think it's true and I, I guess if you've grown up not ha- grown up very much with uh, we're like in a household with Um, parents from the same uh, race, same um, culture, same religion, then maybe you don't understand the, you don't understand the um, almost, it's like a form of violence almost telling someone that they're not, that this, that they're not enough. And and I don't mean that people have said that in like a direct way, but it's it's um, it's how it comes off, I think, to people who do exi- do have those multiple um, identities or exist between identities, and um, um, and are constantly searching for this imaginary home, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. All categories are fake. <laughs> That's the conclusion. The conclusion of this whole thing. <laughs> Just go to the border with um, of Gibraltar with um, Spain, and you'll see how ridiculous this whole thing is. Yeah, that's true. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All borders, this- like, between countries, between, like, categories, they're all, like, very blurry. And- yeah. Exactly. Just dismantle all of it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a conclusion. Dismantle everything. <laughs> well, I hope that we all find ways to exist within our um, homes in the next few months and um, in, in whatever we're calling our home, at least. I don't know. Yeah, whatever is home right now. Whatever is home right now, exactly. Well, okay, thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>